You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning. Welcome to Focus on the Liturgy here on 750 AM WNDZ. I'm Todd Williamson from the Office for Divine Worship. And I'm Timothy Johnston from Liturgy Training Publications. We are both in agencies of the Archdiocese, and we are here every fourth Wednesday of the month, and we do exactly what the title of our show says. We focus on the liturgical, corporate, public, communal life of the Church. And we have a good time doing it. And one of the great things is I'm in the studio this month. I know. For the so. last two months in in the COVID lockdown, for the last two months, I've been in the studio. Timothy's been uh, at home. We've been social distancing. And this is the, the first time we've been in, in the studio together. We're still a good social distance yes. from one another. But uh, uh, every time every time we do gather each month, we talk about... Uh, we talk about the rites of the church. We talk about the liturgical seasons. We talk about uh, the sacraments. Uh, anything, as we said, that has to do with how we pray, pray together when we gather as the body of Christ. And today, Todd, we have a really special guest with us um, on the phone um, that's going to be part of our conversation, our discussion today. Uh, sister Joyce Ann Zimmerman, who is a sister of the precious blood, is going to be joining us to talk about her new book, How Deep the Mystery, and um, just a casual conversation again about liturgical texts and how do we pray them as the baptized and coming together um, to break that open um, in our homes as we're sitting um, and, and praying the liturgy. And uh, so, Sister Joyce, uh, we welcome you. Uh, Sister Joyce might be familiar to many of you uh, uh, if you've been out in workshops or if you've read some of her other other books. She's a, a well-known liturgical uh, formator. Um, she's one of my inspirations and has been a good friend of mine um, for many years. So I'm very, very happy to uh, to welcome her to our show today. Welcome, Sister Joyce. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Timothy and Todd. It's great to be here. I appreciate the chance to talk to the folks in the Chicago area. But I had to chuckle when you two were talking about this is the first time Timothy could be in the studio, but you are practicing social distance. I would like everyone to know I am really practicing social distance. <laughs> I'm about 400 miles away from you, I think, in Dayton, Ohio. And um, so it's it's technology always amazes me, and we've learned lots about it in this last few months of the COVID, but uh, it, it certainly allows me to reach an audience far beyond what I normally am able to do. So well, thank my, you for the invitation. You are welcome. It's great to have you here. I'm excited, uh, Sister Joyce, just to, uh, to, um, to have a show dedicated to this topic. Timothy and I, uh, in, a, in every month, Whatever it is we're talking about, inevitably we'll bring in the liturgical texts. We'll talk about the texts of the readings that are proclaimed. We'll talk about the texts that are prayed, uh, both communally and by the presiding uh, minister. And uh, as I say, inevitably we do that, but I don't think that that's something most Catholics do. Do you? Not at all. Um, I, I... I, when I, in all of my contacts with people and my students and I teach my courses and all my workshops and things, people, I think, are getting very good about preparing the readings before they come to Mass. They're realizing that to read and pray about the readings beforehand brings it alive in the actual context of the liturgical celebration. But I rarely find someone who prays all of the, at least the proper text, that is the one's that are that change and are particular for each celebration. Like the opening collect. Like the opening right. collect. Uh, in fact, pre all three presidential prayers. Right. The opening collect, the prayer over the offerings, and the prayer after communion. Uh, they're so rich in in theology. They're so rich in um, inspiration. They are so rich in poetry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that that we frequently miss them and. Um, some of these, almost all of these 
what we call the common texts, the ones that are in the Roman Missal that we hear over and over and over again. Um, they're, they're, some of them are new, obviously. The, co- the presidential prayers for saints that have recently been uh, canonized obviously have to be um, uh, recomposed. Um, I was privileged to be uh, a consultant to the U- USCCB, the United States Catholic Conference's um, a bishop's um, uh, uh, Committee on, on Divine Worship at a time when we were working on some of the texts and reviewing them before the current third edition of the Roman Missal in English came out. And I, we were working on the propers for our United States National um, Days uh, that are in the Roman Missal, Fourth of July, Thanksgiving. And mm-hmm. I remember having fits about the, the theology that was contained in right. And the bishop said, okay, you go off and write them. Right, right. Um, so we, we have some new texts. But in the main, these texts have been prayed by Catholics since the, some of them is as far back as the 7th, 8th, ninth century. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that we'll, that we'll often say, Sister Joyce, is that um, there's an inherent danger to ritual. And that is, if you're not careful, the ritual can become routine. And I, and I find that with these prayers that are prayed at mass we know them so well we reply, respond to them so quickly they it just trips off our tongues and sometimes these words go in one ear and out the other because we know them so well i instead of routine i like to say we tend to go on autopilot at mass yeah. yep yep exactly um, and 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 i i think it's i i think we're pretty good about listening to the readings. Uh, often people are aided uh, by uh, picking up a missalette or, or whatever and following along, and that's got pros and cons, I understand. Um, but we tend to key into those. But it seems like when the presider is praying, we, we just our minds go off in all kinds of directions. Well, well Sister Joyce, those are, those are Father's prayers, aren't they? No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's what we what we want the, to to talk about in in this hour together. And and it all stems from um, a book that you wrote that specifically breaks open I'm going to cut in here, yeah. Todd, and not let you move on yet. I want I want to comment <laughs> on what you just said about those are fathers prayers. Oh, we will. Oh my gosh, we will t- we will talk more about that. I yes. want to do that right now. All right, then okay, go ahead. Okay, good. Um uh, what we often forget is we focus too much on Father as a, a specific human being. And what happened, the, one of the most incredible things that happens at Mass is when we gather and uh, the, 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 the presider priest comes in the entrance procession and, and takes his place at the presider's chair, uh, kisses the altar first, uh, which is to say the altar is a symbol of Christ. It, it's, it's the first indication to us that he isn't there as Father Jim Smith or whoever. He is there as the visible presence of Christ, the head of the church. So what Father says are not Father's prayers. Right. They're not even really the church's prayers. They're prayers that Jesus himself is speaking and praying to and with us. And he voices them as the head of the body that has gathered in that particular church and at this particular time to enter into that great prayer of Christ himself. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. Right, Exa- yep, exactly. When we lose focus on Christ is the one who is leading us in prayer, I think it's very easy to lose what's really happening during the Eucharistic celebration. And in fact, what's happening is... An enactment. I like. I don't like to do reenactment. Uh, it's an enactment of what Christ did at the Last Supper in terms of His own self-giving. That's a self-giving that has happened now for over two millennia. Yep, and it happens each and every time we gather for this. Absolutely, and that's the core, I think, of understanding what the Eucharistic liturgy is about: Christ's self-giving. And in that, an invitation to those of us who are baptized to enter into that same self-giving. Yep, exactly. We're going to pick it up there, Sister Joyce, when we come back from this first break. So to our listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages.
Throughout our nation and our world, people of all faiths have recently been joining fervently in all kinds of prayer. They have found that coming together in prayer is a source of comfort and strength. In this spirit of unity, the Archdiocese of Chicago has introduced a call to prayer, a telephone line dedicated to prayer. If you would like to join with another person in prayer, call 312-741-3388. This line is staffed from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily with parishioners from across the Archdiocese of Chicago. These volunteers are here to listen to you, offer support, and pray with you. A call to prayer includes a 24-hour voicemail and email options as well. Experience this wonderful opportunity to join with people just like you who trust in the power of prayer. That phone number again is 312-741-3388. Let's pray together today. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the Archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about the outreach efforts underway by the Catholic Church to help people in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll show you how online masses have become a common way of worship, and we'll give you a sampling of how teachers and students in Catholic schools are being creative and productive during the health crisis. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. Welcome back to Focus on the Liturgy here on Catholic Community of Faith. I'm Todd Williamson from the Office for Divine Worship. And I'm Timothy Johnston from Liturgy Training Publications. And Todd, we've been talking uh, in our first part of our show this morning uh, with Sister Joyce Ann Zimmerman. And Sister Joyce, uh, you've been sharing with us a little bit about um, some of uh, the text and how they are the people's prayer. And one of the questions we've had um, as, as we've been thinking uh, ourselves is, First is, what is this new resource that you, you've done? How Deep the Mystery, Meditating on the Words of the Mass. First, what inspired you to write it? And second, what's it doing? Like, what would a person purchase it for? Okay, no problem. I love to talk about uh, the things that I've written about and have been committed to. Uh, it, it's, it's almost impossible for me to think how long ago it has been since we introduced this third edition of the Roman Missal in English. It was actually introduced on the first Sunday of Advent in November 2011. Uh, like many of my liturgical educator colleagues, I spent at least two years before this introduction crisscrossing the country, doing all kinds of presentations and workshops on this uh, coming Roman Missal. And, of course, the news, was press, people, discussions, uh, were, were full of pros and cons. It's going to be terrible. We hate it. We haven't even seen it, but, oh, it's going to be great. We need something new and all this. So I was doing all these kinds of workshops, and actually I was in Las Vegas, of all cities, um, <laughs> doing a series of workshops there, and uh, I was so impressed with the questions and the comments as I was going through some of the new texts with them um, and pointing out the difficulties, and there are difficulties in many of my Clergy friends still say how it's have difficult the time they have with proclaiming some of these texts. Uh, this current translation um, is a more literal translation from the Latin than we had in, in our two previous texts. And um, uh, the problem with that is uh, any foreign language has its own way of flowing. Uh, we kind of call that syntax. Uh, how the grammar unfolds, uh, the, all those kinds of workings of the language itself. And, of course, the Roman Missal is promulgated in Latin. It is, and Latin syntax, syntax being a very Romance language, is extremely different from English being essentially an Anglo-Saxon language. I think I first was privy to these language and syntax differences when I was doing my doctoral studies at St. Paul University in Ottawa, Ontario, which is a bilingual university, and our noon university mass alternated between mass in English and mass in French. And that, that's really my first 
uh, introduction to French. I, I, I'm living in German area, Ohio, so uh, that, that was the, the language that I studied at, at the university, at the undergraduate level, and more familiar with it and all that. So I'm, I'm kind of being thrown into French. And as I listened to the text and learned French, I, I took many courses, um, I became impressed with how much easier the French text flowed from the English text. Uh, and, it, and, and my own work at St. Paul at, at the doctoral level, I got into textual, what's called hermeneutics, textual interpretation, and learned how texts work and learned how texts sometimes don't work. Uh, but that was a very personal experience of, of the importance of language, how language plays on us, and how much easier the Romance languages, Spanish and French, for example, um, can be translated from the Latin and, and flow smoothly as opposed to English, which is such a very different language. So we still have problems with our translation, and my own experience in translating uh, the Psalms for a, for a different uh, resource I published many years ago, uh, liturgy on the Liturgy of the Hours, um, tells me that there is no perfect translation. Right. Your translation is only as good as the principles you begin with and what you're trying to achieve with the translation. Well, let, let's let's kind of shift gears right there in the sense because, uh, so as you're talking about language and how important language is, and, and, and we know we've been with the, the Roman Missal for several years now, we've been praying with it, and we certainly know the pros and the cons, and there are certainly many pros as well. But what... In, in the sense of, you know, you mentioned the workshop in, in, uh, Las Vegas. in Las Vegas. Thank you. Was that the starting point to say, oh, maybe there needs to be a resource that really draws people in to hear and pray with these texts in a different way, knowing that the syntax is a little different? Exactly, Timothy. Um, what, what I was hearing, on, what I was sharing in Las Vegas, and what I tended to do in, in my workshops is, let's not focus on the things we don't like. Let's focus on what we've gained by the right. translation. Right. And what we've gained from the translation is a recovery of much of the richness of the symbolism and imagery yeah, so many that had things. been lost in the previous translation that we're used to. Yeah, Todd and I have talked a lot on the show about uh, some of those scriptural images that have been recaptured. Yes, yes. And, and, liturgical images and mm -hmm. just beautiful poetic language that we've recovered. So that's what I was focus focusing on. But what impressed me is, is the, the insights and the comments that I would get as I would go through a text. Now, I was privileged to have the text. People, other people hadn't seen it. So mm -hmm. as I would go through a text, people had all kinds of insights that I didn't have. Right. And I remember going to bed about at, at the end of about the second day of the workshops and it, hit, it popped in my head, um, you need to write a book helping people appreciate the beauty of the text. And I actually, in bed, in the dark, outlined how deep the mystery <laughs> is. Nice. Um, and I was sh it was shortly after the, the uh, uh, third edition of the Roman Missal actually was promulgated that I began writing it. I had some texts already in mind, uh, some of my favorite ones that I'd been using throughout the, uh, the workshops. And then as I divided How Deep the Mystery into five major sections of different kinds of blocks of, of text from the Roman Missal, uh, for example, the introductory rites or, the, or, or the, the common text, the ones that we hear every Sunday, introductory rites, concluding rites, um, the collects, those opening prayers. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, the, the conclusion of the opening prayer, actually. Um, the Eucharistic prayers, which I think if there's any time of the Mass that we tend to go on autopilot, it yep. tends to be during the Eucharistic yep, prayer. Yep, I agree. I agree. Um, um, the, the prefaces, which, which are the first part of the Eucharistic prayer, which often talk about the, the, the it gives us the theology of the feast. Mm -hmm. um, we, have, we have these beautiful um, solemnities coming right after Pentecost, Trinity Sunday and, and um, Corpus, Corpus Christi. Christi. Uh, take, take a look at those, those two pre the prefaces proper for those feasts. It basically gives us a theology of the feast. Oh, right, right. If we're not listening to them, we don't catch it. We're just kind of getting ready to get into the holy, holy, holy. What, holy, holy, holy. What I like about your book and what I like about your approach, Sister Joyce, is that it's not, you, you don't just take the approach of, um, hey, listen to what 
is being prayed, but you actually break it open and you plumb the images and the phrases and you, you plumb that theology to, to, to really in, in, in a, a way of, of, of sacred reading, Lexio Divina, on the text right. of the Mass itself. And, and what I've done, um, we've talked about this on the show before, is we've invited uh, our listeners very often to take texts home or remember what they've either heard in the Scriptures proclaimed or something prayed at Mass and, and really meditate on it. And this is a particular resource, and I, I think what Todd just said, and, and I was the editor of the project, so um, I think that it is an opportunity, because sometimes when we are sitting in Mass, it it, uh, it does wash over us. So take those texts with you home and pray with them individually, with family. Break them open. There's something beautiful, because then you're prepared the next time you hear them. You know what, Timothy and Sister Joyce? Let's do exactly that when we come back from this next break. Let's actually look at some of the texts, and let's break them open. We'll do that. Stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages. There's nothing like having a friend to talk to when things are not going well. And in these challenging days, everyone has had moments when they are discouraged, sad, or worried. Catholic Charities wants you to know that we are here. If you or someone you know would like to share your concerns with a professional, call 312-948-6951 anytime, day or night, and you will be connected with an experienced counselor who will listen without judgment and offer compassionate, confidential advice that you can trust. That phone number again is 312-948-6951. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. Food pantries, home-delivered meals to seniors, evening-to-go meals for the homeless, financial assistance, counseling, and other services. These are all programs Catholic Charities has been providing for years to people in Cook and Lake Counties. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, we have worked to keep all of these programs going, never turning anyone away. The needs are urgent and they will grow, but we want you to know that we will be here as we always have been with food, housing, financial assistance, and ongoing support. Thank you to the many, many donors and partners helping us serve those most in need. We couldn't do it without you. Would you consider joining us too at this historic time? Go to catholiccharities.net to donate and to learn more about our volunteer opportunities. Thank you on behalf of all those we have the privilege to serve. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here. Welcome back to Focus on the Liturgy. We're talking with Sister Joyce Ann Zimmerman about the whole process, the whole form of prayer, the whole way of reading texts, and specifically we're talking about the texts of the Mass, uh, and uh, it, it, it's ancient in our history, uh, Sister Joyce, isn't it? Lexio Divina? Absolutely. Uh, it, it goes all the way back to it. It's certainly in the um, rule of St. Benedict. Um, my congregation was uh, largely shaped by a missionary of the Precious Blood who started out as a Benedictine. So mm. I like to claim we're thoroughly Benedictine. Um, but uh, in, the, in the rule of Benedict, Benedict, which dates to the 5th century, 5th, 6th century, Benedict as much as says that what makes the monk is Lexio Divina. Oh, wow. Now, what is Lexio Divina? It's two Latin words which simply may, means divine reading. And what, while ordinarily Lexio Divina is, is uses sacred scripture, that could be any sacred text, and certainly the Roman Missal is a sacred text. What happens? It, it unfolds in four movements, if you will. Uh, you begin with Lexio, the reading. And the issue isn't how much you read out of the Roman Missal or out of a sacred scripture. It's you take a text and read it until something pops out at you, uh, a word or a phrase. Yep. And you can think in terms of, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. This, oh my gosh, yes. This is what he wants us to hear. So once that happens, then you stop the divine reading. You don't need any more of that. And you move to the second movement, which is called meditation or reflection. And what happens then is you just ruminate over that 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 text that popped out at you. You know, what's it saying? How does it apply to your life? 
how does it open up your relationship to God? How is it challenging you? All these nice. kinds of things. Nice. Then that leads to prayer. And, and prayer is always addressed to God specifically. And ideally, it doesn't always happen, but the final movement is contemplation, where all the words stop and you just simply bask in God's presence. Wow. And, and led there, led to that point through the words, the images of the text that you're reading. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think of, of people, I mean, certainly I was trained by Benedictines as well and Augustinians and, and the, the sense of meditating upon uh, those words, drawing you into deeper communion with Christ. Exactly. And that, exactly. that you can't not then contemplate. Right. And, and so with that in mind and knowing that process, uh, Sister Joyce, what is your favorite text from the Roman Missal? Timothy, that, uh, shoot, I like them all. <laughs> and, and it depends on where I am. I, I, I've shared this with you before, Timothy, in some of our conversations, that I think every time I'm at Sunday Mass now, I hear a text and I say, oh, that, I should have put that in, how deep the mystery. <laughs> well, that'll go in volume two, kind of a thing. I, once you get going into listening in this way and allowing the process to take over, it just doesn't stop. But one I've chosen uh, to share today is called Christ Humbled Himself, because it combines two texts. And I think one of the favorite things that uh, the incarnation of Christ reveals to us that we do not think about, meditate about, pray about often enough, which I think completely changes uh, our understanding of ourselves as baptized followers of Christ. Uh, this is number 1.9 in How Deep the Mystery. If any of our listeners have the book handy, they might like to look at this. The Roman Missal text is a text prayed silently by the priest mm-hmm. when he combines the water and wine at the preparation of the gifts. You know, he pours wine into the chalice and then, and then puts a little drop of water in there. And the text from the Missal is, By the mystery of this water and wine, May we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Uh, it, it's, a, it's just a rich and, a, and an unbelievable text about who we are as those baptized in Christ and what the implication of the incarnation is. When Christ took on human flesh, uh, in Philippians 2, that beautiful poem to Christ's humility, yep, yep. where Paul says he emptied himself of his divinity. Think of that. If I were God, I don't know I would undo that. Um, he emptied himself of his divinity so he could throw his whole lot in with us and become completely human and everything except sin. But that's not really where the—that's, to me, not the most profound part, even, of the whole mystery of the Incarnation. By Christ taking on humanity, he enabled us yes. to take on divinity. Yeah. You're right, Alan. This is, I was, as you were saying this particular text, I was chuckling um, here in the studio because that was going to be my favorite text as well. Um, <laughs> because exactly what you were saying is that it, and I, I don't think we think about this um, when we're in liturgy very often, it, it, because oftentimes we, maybe we are just going through the motions or whatnot, but that our prayer is is bringing us to share in the divinity of Christ. It's not making us divine, but it's bringing us to share in that divinity, raising us to the fullness of who we have been uh, baptized to be. be. And so, we, yeah, we meant it. Yeah. It's an invitation to which we must respond. Now, in the reflection, I quote from the Collect for the Master in Christmas Day, and it's interesting how often we hear uh, parallel or repeated text. Mm-hmm. In our Roman Missal, here's the collect from from the Mastering the Day for the Nativity of the Lord. O God, who wonderfully created the dignity of human nature and still more wonderfully restored it, grant, we pray, that we may share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Yep. And that I just love that. It's such a not only is it poetic and beautiful, but I mean it's just jam packed with theological uh, statement for us to reflect on. And we can do that even if we don't have a doctorate in theology. It, like, it's jam packed about who we are. Yeah. Uh, let me let me share a little story. I was teaching um, a, a class this uh, past year, and uh, I, I was doing a whole section on holiness. 
And um, one of the students came up to me at the beginning of the next class with tears in her eyes. This is a young woman uh, in parish ministry, and she said to me, thank you for the class on holiness. No one has ever told me I'm mm-hmm. holy. Mm-hmm. And yet our, our liturgical texts remind our, us of that text, all the time. Our liturgical texts scream it to yes. us. Yep. Yep. Scream it if, to us. If we would but just listen to these and take them in while we're in the midst of the prayer. Exactly, we, exactly. And sometimes, you know, we think all, all, the, all the liturgy does and all the homilies do is shout about how sinners we are. And yes, yeah, I grant we are sinners. But there's the other side of the thing that I think God yes. pays attention to a lot more than we do. Yes. And that is that we are graced. We yeah. are beloved. We are God's chosen ones. We are holy, simply because God dwells within us. Right. Um, I, I'd like to go back to a, a, a parallel to that, a second favorite of mine, if you will, because I struggled so hard with it. And this is in 1.2, in, in our common text section, uh, the Confidior. And what the new translation, the Confidior, included from the Latin that the previous translation did not have is, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. And when I first came across that translation, I just, I, I just, I had a visceral response to it. I'm not a great sinner, doggone it. You know, I, I got my human weaknesses. I drive people batty and all those things, but I just can't handle that I'm a great sinner. Until you look at where that comes from. Right, the great. You know something I don't know. I'm going in a different direction. <laughs> Tell me, Todd. <laughs> that I have greatly sinned. Uh, that, as as I understand it, there's a scriptural reference there to David. Uh, yes. he's the right. one who's he is the right. he and and so we're called to imitate David, who loved the Lord so much he could come before him and say, "I have greatly sinned before you, Lord." Uh, this is rich because that's a whole different. Meditatio, right. meditation. <laughs> See, live, done right here. I struggled as I'm doing these workshops. How can I explain to people, you've got to say, I have greatly sinned when I don't think we're all great sinners. And the, I, I had my breakthrough. Uh, one day I was reading St. John of the Cross, the great mystic. And it struck me, uh, and then I went back to a number of Catherine of Siena, Catherine of Genoa, Teresa of Avila, John's great friend, and they all talk about being great sinners. I said, come on, if these great mystics were great sinners, I don't stand a chance. <laughs> um, you know, how, how, I really worked for about two years before, I had, before the light dawned, and I thought, ah, uh, when we're developing a relationship with somebody— uh, we we can stumble into hurting another, not as bad as David did. I mean, David was guilty of two heinous, big, visible sins, mm-hmm. um, both adultery and murder. But but when we're developing a relationship with somebody, you know, I can have my friend over for dinner. This actually happened to me. Uh, one of our novices, I had her over for dinner a while back, and uh, she had told me previously that that she came from an area where they had steak all the time and their best meal was chicken. And so I invited her over and I, 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 I cooked my favorite chicken recipe for her. And she looked at me and she says, Oh, I thought we were going to have steak. Uh. Well, I didn't know her well enough to know the background of that. And I felt horribly because I wanted to really give her her favorite meal. <laughs> um, so when we don't know someone very well, we can kind of slip into unknowingly these faux pas. Right. Right, right. As Let's... we get to know somebody, the big things go by the wayside. We don't do them because we know we hurt another. Right. But then something else crops up, and something else crops up. So what I like to say is when we confess, I have greatly sinned, what we're really talking about is our relationship with God. And it's as much a profession or a confession of our great holiness as it is about our great sinfulness. And our great love in God. And, and that, our great love yep, for God, uh, yep, absolutely. Yep, and that's where we'll pick it up when we come back from this break. Stay with us for the second half of Focus on the Liturgy, right after these messages.
Teamwork. It's a word that inspires individuals and groups of people to achieve important goals. And in recent weeks, teamwork has been essential to our food and nutrition services at Catholic Charities. Careful allocation of food supplies has allowed all nine of our food pantries to serve twice the number of guests they usually see. A detailed coordination of staff and resources has ensured that our WIC centers remain open for families with children under five years old. Despite social distancing, our volunteers and restaurant partners have continued to make to-go meals possible for the hungry and the homeless who come to 721 North LaSalle and our suburban locations. And our creative employees have worked with food vendors and neighbors to make sure homebound seniors and the disabled still have meals delivered to them. Our team members recognize how serious food insecurity can be. Please join us in our mission. Visit www.catholiccharities.net. Ford once said, a business that makes nothing but money is a poor business. At Catholic Charities, we are deeply grateful to our corporate partners who agree with Henry Ford. Some of our corporate partners make a financial commitment each year to the work of Catholic Charities. Other partners donate or offer reduced prices on goods and services that help our clients find stability in their lives. Still other corporate leaders gather their employees and regularly volunteer at our food pantries and our suppers for the homeless. For over a century, support from businesses large and small has been vital to our efforts to strengthen the lives of individuals and communities, one person, one family at a time. If you'd like to join us in our mission, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Thank you. You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. Every Monday through Friday from 8 AM to 9 AM, the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Welcome back to Focus on the Liturgy, the second half of our show. If you are just joining us, I'm Todd Williamson from the Office for Divine Worship. And I'm Timothy Johnston from Liturgy Training Publications. And joining us uh, on the show today is Sister Joyce Ann Zimmerman, um, who is the author of a recent uh, publication of How Deep the Mystery, Meditating on the Words of the Mass. And so, that's, that's exactly what we've been doing, Sister Joyce and Timothy. The, that whole idea of taking a, a portion of the text of the Mass, the, whether it's a response of the people, whether it's part of the presidential prayers, the prayers that the priest might pray, whatever they are, we're talking about how rich they are how it's it's really is that old adage isn't it uh, how we pray is how we believe mm -hmm. these words shape our faith they they tell us they 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 proclaim to us what it is we believe and just by meditating on them breaking them open as we did right before that last break right it is, oh my gosh, Sister Joyce, it takes you to a whole uh, another level of uh, spirituality and understanding of our faith. Absolutely, and what, what also struck me is um, Lexio Divina does not have to be only an individual exercise. Right. Uh, we were commenting, the three of us were doing it together on my two favorite texts. I think uh, if, a, if a, a small prayer group could get together and prepare the Sunday Mass text, now, Not just the readings, but the text. This is a great way to go. Oh, yeah, my gosh, yeah. When I was at Marquette, and, and we, you know, I had a liturgy prep team for the four years I worked there in campus ministry, and one of the things we did every uh, week, um, it, you know, when I first got there, it started uh, just, they, we met for an hour, and we prayed with the text. We planned music. We read scripture. We, we prayed and meditated on them. And by the second, third, fourth year, they wouldn't leave. They wanted to stay <laughs> for two hours, yeah. three hours sometimes. Yeah. Because they found it so rich, and um, so there is a profound thing. I mean, you do this with your families. I can't encourage this enough to do this with your families uh, when when you're with them. Timothy, w what we're talking about texts. You and I talk about them all the time. Yep. What's 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 one of your favorites? Well, so again, since uh, Sister Joyce already uh, named mine, I'll pick another one. And there are so many good ones. But one of the the ones I want to just point out is Eucharistic Prayer Four. And we don't hear Eucharistic prayer for very often in the church. Uh, 
um, at least in my experience, um, um, and I, you know, over my course right. the, the years. But what I love about this prayer, and it's mostly, it's really for ordinary time, um, is uh, it really breaks open in a poetic and a beautiful way salvation history. Oh my gosh, yeah. And it, it in a just a, a really great way. So one of the the phrases, now I, I will lament a little bit that <laughs> one of the things in the new translation, yes. which I think is the, an unfortunate reason why it's not often used, is a lot of the language where it references humanity became very masculine. Yeah. So yeah. In, in this in this example, uh, this is what I'm going to share. Uh, this is one of the phrases I like from that. It happens right after the Holy Holy. We give you praise, Father most holy, for you are great and you have fashioned all your works in wisdom and in love. So right there, I, I go right back to the Psalms, those creation Psalms, uh, the story of creation, but that you have fashioned all your works in wisdom and in love. You formed man in your own image and entrusted the whole world to his care. So that in serving you alone, the, the creator, he might have dominion over all creatures. And it goes on. I right. just think there's some really beautiful um, images in there about creation um, and, uh, and really inviting us to contemplate our being made in the image and likeness of God. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Eucharistic Prayer 4 is considered the longest one, but in, yeah. in actuality it's not that many words. Um, but it... it it's a beautiful. The whole is a beautiful prayer, simply because it shows the uh, the breadth and length and depth of yeah. God's relationship with us. Oh my gosh, that that line that Timothy quoted: "You have fashioned all your works in wisdom and in love." As he read that, Sister Joyce, I thought, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm one of his works. Yeah. Yes. He has fashioned me in wisdom and in love." I mean, that's. Well, and, and, and that's what I love, again, about this text or even what, what Joyce shared earlier, and I'm sure what you're going to share, Todd, is if when we are in the liturgical uh, celebration and we're hearing these texts, they're forming us in the theology of, of who we believe we are in the presence of God and, and what we understand ourselves to believe, be in the presence of God. So these aren't just random words that have been put together at this time, but for centuries in different ways and, and, and maybe different uh, translations, for example. But, but we have prayed these and they formed us to help us know that we are formed or fashioned in the wisdom and the love of God. So yep. if we just take the time to listen to that, meditate and pray with that. Well, so what's your text, Todd? What's your favorite text? <laughs> um, my, one, one of my favorite texts from the Roman Missal comes from the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. And it's, act, it's actually the uh, prayer after communion. Mm. Um, uh, and and it, it reads this. It's, O God, who have willed that we be partakers in the one bread and the one chalice, grant us, we pray, so to live that, made one in Christ, we may joyfully bear fruit for the salvation of the world. Mm. So when I read that, I immediately am overwhelmed with the whole prospect of me being called to bear fruit for the salvation of the world. And I, and I sit there and I go, oh my gosh, what have I done in the last week to joyfully bear fruit for the salvation of the world. If you take that prayer, that is what a responsibility that we have and, and what a revealed in, the, in that text. Yeah, and what a beautiful prayer after communion that we, as sharing in uh, the Eucharistic uh, bread and wine, that we have been made more and more into the body of Christ and that we go forward Joyfully. Uh, joyfully to do that. And, and I, you know, with everything going on in our country and the world right now, um, it, these are some interesting texts to even uh, reflect on and ponder. Because I, you know, with, with uh, different protests and things, and I've been reading Catholic blogs and various things, this text challenges some mm -hmm. things I've been reading on, on some commentators' uh, blogs and various things that we as a Christian community, as baptized people, we're in this together. And the Eucharist, the liturgy itself, is helping form us to understand that we have a role to go out into the world and to proclaim the good news of salvation. For the salvation of the world. Yeah, and that's, it's that, that's it. A great spiritual exercise, uh, we're far from Lent, but you might keep this in mind for, for next Lent, would be to uh, 
take a Roman missal if you can access one, or even a missalette will give you a little bit mm-hmm. limited, and just read uh, week after week or day after day if you have a daily missal, uh, the prayers after communion. Oh my gosh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what two things are going to come through, to, uh, at least in my reading of them. One is, Todd, what you pointed out, that they, in a sense, move us beyond the Mass to, to with joyful hearts, live what we've celebrated. But also pay attention to how many of those prayers after communion talk about uh, our, our, heavenly, our participation in the heavenly banquet. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, and what that is a great reminder of is when, when we're celebrating the Eucharistic liturgy, the altar is there as the messianic banquet, the banquet that our whole life is yearning toward. The point of fact is we're there. Yeah. We're there. Yep. We're in heaven, folks. Yep. The only difference between what we're doing there and what happens in heaven is the fact that uh, we, we get sent forth from Mass and get back to the reality of the messiness of everyday living. And in heaven, we just will never leave it. That's why, right, that's why we hear. And so we join our voices with Absolutely. all the yes. angels, the saints, the principalities and dominions as we acclaim. And, and I think that's also what draws us back week after week. That's why it is the source and the fount. It's what feeds and sends, and, and we, we are drawn back into that Eucharistic liturgy because our heart longs for that uh, communion with the risen Christ. I mean, it, how can it not? And so, yeah, we go out into the messy world, and and, and maybe we are great sinners at that point, but we're, we're doing what we, the best we can, and we come back week after week um, to hear the words proclaimed uh, in Scripture and, and our, our other texts. Sister Joyce and Timothy, let's 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 look at more texts when we come back after this break. Stay with us. We're talking about the texts of the Roman Missal, their profundity and how deep they are. We'll do it when we come back. There's nothing like having a friend to talk to when things are not going well. And in these challenging days, everyone has had moments when they are discouraged, sad or worried. Catholic Charities wants you to know that we are here. If you or someone you know would like to share your concerns with a professional, call 312-948-6951 anytime, day or night, and you will be connected with an experienced counselor who will listen without judgment and offer compassionate, confidential advice that you can trust. That phone number again is 312-948-6951. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. Throughout this pandemic, Catholic Charities continues to develop the most effective ways possible to respond to the needs of our clients and communities. In the past month, our call center has received 250 calls a day for emergency services. More than 450 seniors are being visited by home care aides who help them with housekeeping, groceries, and personal care. Mental health services are being provided to more than 600 people via phone and video. Our friendly, knowledgeable staff is working nonstop, so we are always ready for whoever might reach out to us next. If we can be of assistance to you, email us at gethelp at catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7700. That's gethelp at catholiccharities.net. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. Welcome back to Focus on the Liturgy. We are talking about the text of the Roman Missal, but really not just about the text. We're with Sister Joyce Ann Zimmerman, who has written a book, How Deep the Mystery. It's about breaking open these texts and plumbing them for their wisdom and uh, the, the what, how they inform our faith. Uh, and Sister Joyce, it was always your, your approach in the book and the way that we've been talking, uh, you, Timothy, and I, is uh, uh, in regard to Lexio Divina. It follows that 
that um, uh, form of prayer. And you made a comment during the break that I absolutely love, uh, kind of some advice to our listeners. You said, just jump in. Yes. <laughs> right. I think sometimes with prayer, we can get caught up in technique or method and never really get to the prayer. You mean like, I have to do this, and then I have to do this? Yeah, or, or I have to move on to the next movement, or blah, blah, blah. The point to prayer is, is to encounter God. And uh, that can happen in many ways. I, can, I sometimes do Lexio Divina and don't get beyond the text itself. <laughs> um, you know, and God's speaking, so why would I want to interrupt God uh, or the Holy Spirit speaking? Um, I, 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 I think it helps with something like Lexio Divina to, be, to become familiar with the movements, which is why something like How Deep the Mystery, which has 75 Lexio Divina um, prayers in them, you know, if, 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 if you purchase the book and, 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 and begin working on these, you, you'll become familiar enough with the method that you won't get hung up on the technique. Because the whole point is we don't want to worry about method. We want to listen to God in the prayer. Right, and I think one of the the wise things of the book, or your the nugget of wisdom, is that what you're doing and what you're providing will form them to be able to do this on their own. As you said a little bit earlier, is you can take a missalette from home or, or get one from a publisher, and you can, once you kind of have a rhythm and you've jumped in, you can sit with those texts um, that maybe aren't in How Deep the Mystery, but you've learned and you've prayed with those as well. And you can do others. So just for clarification for the listeners, Sister Joyce, you took 75 sections or prayers or, or parts of a Text. prayers, texts, uh, and, and, and you broke, broke those open in the book. And using like so Divina, yes, right. that's exactly what the book is. Sometimes I get asked about, you know, there's lots of books about this Roman Missal translation. Why is this one different? It's different because this one isn't about the yes. translation. It isn't about the text. It is praying the text. Right, and that's the key. Yeah, that's what is is beautiful and unique. Um, that it isn't a history of these texts. It's not you know you're not going to be bored. It is really like you said, jumping in, and and letting these rich images and poetry wash over us, and the Holy Spirit stir our hearts. But would want to say to the listeners, just as what happened with us with a couple of these texts, as soon as you're, say, looking at how deep the mystery and, and praying with me, in a sense, uh, don't be stuck by what I prayed. Right. Uh, use the text, and then, you know, you could, there is no one interpretation or one way God might speak to us through any given text. Yeah. And so be sure you give yourself the freedom, if you're using how deep the mystery, to move in a completely different direction on any text, or as you move through the book and become more familiar with, with Lexio Divina, as you're at Mass and hear text, take the time when you go home Yes, and... uh, to go back to that text and, and savor it, pray it, let, let it sink in. And as, as Timothy said earlier, what a great way, if a family, is, you know, if you've got a 20-minute drive to church, this would be great. Do, yeah. it. Do it in your chair, exactly. Yeah. Well, one of the things, um, it, just to comment on what you were sharing, was when I was even editing the book, for example, um, you know, and going through different texts and, and reading your Lexio on a text, it often would be like, oh, I never thought of it that way because some other word or image struck me in that particular text. Exactly. And then after I read yours, I, I, I kind of knew the method. Okay, I can break now the image open that I uh was uh, was uh, latching onto, if you will, or was resonating within me. And so it just really broke it open. And, and you can keep coming back to these texts over and over again because our life context changes. Um, or, yeah. Because they're so deep, you can never reach the end. Sister Joyce, in, um, in, in the, these last couple minutes, um, let's see if we can do this again for our listeners. There's another text that uh, you made mention of during the break. Yes. Uh, in these last five minutes we have... The in introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Yes, uh, the priest invites us to pray the Our Father with, at the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say. <laughs> you know, we hear that Sunday after Sunday, or similar words, and we don't pay attention to it. We just start with the Our Father. Right. And I always laugh when I'm in a parish every Sunday. Um, 
sometimes people pray so fast. I only get in about every third or fourth word. <laughs> I've been in those parishes. Yeah, when I when I do workshops and 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 pray with people, especially prayers we know like the Our Father, I just say, "You pray very softly. I'm going to pray very loudly, and you ma- you match me." And people comment how hard that is to slow down in a prayer. Um, the confidier. I mean, if if you ask people, what are you professing when you're when you're praying, oh, making your your profession of faith, the creed, or not the confidior, the creed? I meant, um, you know, people, we, we we just rush through it. We don't even think. But listen to how we're invited at the Savior's command. Yeah, that's strong. It's not Savior's invitation. It's not at the Savior's wish. Mm-hmm. It's it's at the Savior's command. We are responding to what Jesus Christ is asking of us, formed by divine teaching. The prayer is, is one of the prayers that's given to us by Jesus himself. Yeah. Uh, and so when we pray that, we're not only praying the prayer that Jesus himself prayed, but we're praying as God wishes us to pray. Oh, my gosh. And then you go back to the scriptures where that is given to us. And what immediately, as you were just talking, Sister Joyce, what immediately came to my mind is Jesus's words. He, he says, when you pray, say. He didn't say, when you pray, you might say, or when, right, you, yeah. when you pray, you could use these words. He says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. I, and that's that's what your reflection just led me to. Well, and it made me think of, and this is my historian coming out, but it made me think of the Didache, which is an early church order or, or teaching. And it was very clear even in, in those early church orders in those first centuries, really the first century. The importance of the Lord's the Prayer. The importance of the Lord's Prayer. And so we continue that. So that's a great reflection on that short phrase that you're. I think you're right. Most people, it, we don't hear it. I'm not even... Well, maybe this isn't fair to say, but even when a presider says it, it might just wash over the importance or the profundity right. of, of that. We dare to pray. Even but, that. Even that. What's interesting is, uh, to, to you referenced the Didache, uh, Timothy, is it's the first injunction, the first indication, the first written statement about how Christians are to pray. And what the Didache says is, we pray the Our Father three times a day. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, for many people, religious congregations especially, who do morning and evening prayer and Mass, yep. more, uh, the Our Father is, is a, a, an invariable part of morning and evening prayer. It's an invariable part of Mass. Um, it's not um, by chance that if you have a communion service outside of Mass, or even if you're taking communion to, to the sick or the homebound, what do you do? You pray the Our Father. Yep. Even yeah. even if you're in a very sick situation and the person is barely conscious, you pray the yep. Our Father. Right. We dare to pray. We dare to yeah. pray. <laughs> well, Sister Joyce, it has been a pleasure to have you in uh, a conversation today on this show. Um, as we wrap up, I just want to let our listeners know that they can purchase How Deep the Mystery from LTP by calling um, 1-800-933-933. 1800, um, and you, you're able to talk to someone at customer service and, and let them know. Or you can always email us at orders.ltp.org, and we'd be very happy to ship out this wonderful resource that helps you engage the, the text of the Mass in prayer and contemplation, um, you and your family, hopefully, and in my opinion, will definitely enrich and deepen your experience of the Eucharistic Liturgy Um week after week yeah. as, as you're going forward. And so definitely thank you again for all the good work um, you're, you're doing. Um, and, and Timothy and, and uh, Sister Joyce, uh, you, Sister Joyce, you wrote it. Timothy, you edited it. I did read it. And it, <laughs> it, is, it, it is the texts that you use and, and uh, the method that you've given us today. Hopefully our listeners will come away from this show with just a, a, a new way to pray, a new way to listen to the texts, a new way to break them open and let them, as you, you said a couple of times, Sister Joyce, in our hour, wash over, let them just sink in, let them echo in our hearts and in our souls. Sister Joyce, thank you so much. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And to our listeners, we will be here on the fourth Wednesday of next month. Until Until then, God bless everyone. Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago, 
You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.